Praise God. Praise God. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. We're going to learn about how we rule and reign with Jesus today. How many ready to rule and reign with Jesus? Can I hear an amen? The power of God is in the church today. So I'm so glad that you're here in church. And I want you to learn about the church. Look at Matthew 16, verse 15. Jesus asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? They had the wrong answer. He asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter had the right answer. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then look at what Jesus says to Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are who? I tell you that you are who? Peter. He changed his name. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Everybody say keys of the kingdom. Thank you. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. The reason why those keys are so important is because God gave them to Adam and Eve at the very beginning, but they lost them to Satan. Notice the authority that was given to mankind as he created them, both male and female. Just because God has chosen the male to be over the female in authority in the house does not mean that they are not equal in nature and equal in authority in the sense before God and his power. Can I hear an amen? In the family, God has just chosen a last vote, and that last vote goes towards the husband. But they are both powerful before God. The way I look at men and women is like superman and superwoman. Can I hear an amen to that? They are both powerful in the sight of God, and that's why God has used them all throughout the scriptures, and we see them in our church being used. Look at Genesis 1:28. God blessed just the man. Is that what it says? God blessed just Adam? No, it says God blessed what? Them and said to what? Them, hallelujah, be fruitful and increase in number. Just as it takes a them to have sex and make babies, it takes a them to increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Look at Psalm 115, verse 16. Notice this as the psalmist speaks. The psalmist speaks about this time in Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He said, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to who? Mankind, not just to Adam, but to mankind, man and woman and the children after them. But what happened in that garden when they sinned is they lost the authority. Everybody say they lost the authority. Amen. Go to Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 8. I want you to notice this. When Satan tempted Jesus, he said, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of these kingdoms. He knew that Jesus was coming to reset humanity. Adam and Eve had lost the keys to the devil in the garden, and he had had them ever since. But now Jesus is coming to regain those keys. Notice this, my friends. In Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 8, the devil led him, talking about Jesus, to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. How many of the kingdoms of the world? All the kingdoms of the world. Thank you. And he said to them, uh, said to him, I will give you all their authority. I will give you the authority. Somebody say keys. See, that's what we're talking about. Keys representing authority. I'll give you all of the submission to them. I'll give you all of the subduing them. I'll give you all of the rulership and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, does Jesus correct Satan on his uh, ownership of the kingdoms? No, he goes, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and onward. What happened at the cross? Jesus went to hell, defeated the devil, got back the keys that he had taken from us and defeated our enemy and rose from the dead, victorious with the keys of death, hell in the grave. Somebody should get excited about Jesus, hallelujah, whooping the devil. That's why he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Notice that's after the resurrection. Jesus, as the Son of God, eternally in heaven, always had the authority. But who did he give earth to, according to the psalm? He gave it to mankind. 
And mankind gave that authority to the devil, and the devil acted like he's somebody, tried to get Jesus off of his course, but he couldn't do it. Jesus did it the Father's way, and by going to the cross, he not only redeemed us from our sins, he got back the authority we lost. Everybody say, Jesus is the man. Hallelujah, the God-man. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey how many things? Thank you, everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. In review of what I've just shared with you, Jesus says to Peter after he confessed him as the Christ, he says, I'm changing your name and I'm giving you authority and that authority will be in my church and the church will be built and the gates of hell won't be able to stop it. Jesus had to restore to us our authority that was given in Genesis and confirmed by the psalmist. He had to go to earth and flesh as a man, do what we couldn't do, and then in the grave defeat the devil and come back with those keys. And now he has given them to his church. Somebody say the church. Of course they belong to Jesus. We're not saying we're equal with Jesus. We're not saying that we're eternal like Jesus. We're not saying that we're equal to the Father like Jesus. But what we're saying is like Jesus has the keys and has given to us, in his name we can now do what he said we can do. Amen? Amen. Now look at what Paul said here, taking on those thoughts that we just considered. I became a servant of this gospel. So the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ and his victory over death, hell, and the grave on the cross. The gospel is the good news that Jesus changes sinners into saints. So he says, I've become a servant of this gospel. Well, if he's a servant of the gospel, who's his master? Who's his master? Jesus by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his what? Of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. That's the non-Jewish people. Paul was called to reach them, and that's many of us here today, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Now, notice that word, administration administration of this mystery. What administrators do is they organize and implement a plan. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So Paul said, I'm going to administrate, I'm going to organize, and I'm going to implement a mystery that had been for ages past kept hidden in God who created everything, all things. Now you want to know what that mystery is that Paul is now going to implement? His intent was that now through the what? Through the what? Do I have anybody up in this church? You better say the church. Come on, through the what? The church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Woo, come on, somebody say heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to get that. Paul said there was a mystery about how Jesus was going to restore the kingdom back to his people after they lost it in the garden. And now Paul is given the administration of that mystery because Jesus did it on the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection. And he told Peter he was going to do it when he came back and gave him the keys. And in Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission, he gave him the keys and he said, I got the authority. Now go out and make disciples. And Paul, in summary of it, says it looks like this. It looks like the church is now mysterious because the devil didn't see it coming, but the church is now being used by God to show the wisdom of God to the kingdoms of Satan and to bring down his dominion. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 now. Just a few more chapters over. That's the book of Ephesians. Now go to spiritual warfare. Scroll down a little bit, my brother. Notice this. That finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Why is he saying that in the same book he just told us about the church? Because the church is where the power of God is. Now you put on the armor so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. 
Our battle's not just against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. According to the Bible, where did abortion come from? Evil in the heavenly realms. That was orchestrated by a demon tempting mankind. Where did transgenderism come from? According to the Bible, evil in the heavenly realms. Where did murder and gangs and rape and child molestation, where did these temptations come from? The evil, where? In the heavenly realms. You see, it was Satan who came from that heavenly realm to tempt us in the first place. And ever since then, demons, these hordes of Satan, have been tempting us ever since then and trying to get us to participate in their evil so that we will not implement the authority that Jesus Christ gave us. When you come to church, you are not coming to Taco Bell. You are coming to the Taqueria. You are not coming to a shiny, outward-appearing thing that's going to hurt you a few moments in the bathroom. Yeah, and I know some of you like Taco Bell, but listen, you're coming to the real deal. You're coming to the authentic church. The church of Jesus Christ is where Jesus is seated with authority in his people's hearts. And he's looking at the devil saying, I've defeated you. I've defeated you. I've whooped every evil and every temptation you've ever brought against this world. But are most Christians tapped into that kind of a church? Are most Christians going to a church where they're learning about their authority in Jesus' name, taking his word out of the four walls and going to the streets and claiming that back for Jesus? No, most churches today want to entertain the goats and neglect the sheep. Most churches today want to act like the devil is still in charge and that we have to be all polite and nice with him and just ask him for a favor every now and then so he can give us just a little crumb off the table. No, the Bible says God has prepared a table, a feast before us in the presence of our enemies. We say to the devil, let go of my pizza. Let go of my lechon. Let go of my blessings. I'm going to eat right in front of you because not only am I a conqueror, I'm more than a conqueror. Brothers and sisters, you have been called to rule and reign with Christ, male and female. And that's why, think about it, if the devil can get you tied up in sin, then you won't be effective on the battlefield. If David was looking at pornography, do you think he could go and take on Goliath? See, you understand the devil's tricks? Don't be unaware, the Bible says, of the devil's schemes. If he can get you tied up in sin, then you won't even notice there's a battle going on. If he can get you distracted by your own demons, then you won't be whooping demons in Jesus' name. If he can get you so introspective on your own fears and your own failures, then you won't know greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And that you're called to go out and make disciples of the nations. We are called to make disciples of the Philippines, disciples of Indonesia, disciples of Central and South America, disciples of America, disciple of every major city around the world from Beijing to Tokyo. Are you listening to Bangkok? They belong to our God. We are to go in the authority of Jesus' name tearing down these strongholds to understand that Christ has called us. If you are called, you are chosen to be a part of this group of people that are literally shining as lights in a dark world. You are called to be a world changer and a history maker. Can I hear an amen? Go with me to Jude chapter 1 verse 14. I've been speaking the last few weeks to culminate in today's message before we move on to other aspects of the church. But I want you to see that God's church is where God's authority is, and we ought to take it serious. Notice Jude in Jude 1.14 prophesying here, and he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, saying, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his what? 
of his holy ones. And people oftentimes have thought that holy ones is talking about angels. Go ahead and click on the Greek there for us. That is the word hagios. Everybody say hagios. It is where we get the word saint from. This is not angelos. These are not his angels. These are his hagios. These are his saints. Do you see the word there, hagias? Now put up a new tab, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul always writing to the church, calling them to saints. And then you will notice what we are. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ and called to be his what? Holy people, go ahead and click on the Greek. And then you can guess what that word is. Those who are sanctified are the hagios. They are the holy ones. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is planning to judge the world through you? Now going back to Jude chapter 1 verse 14, taking it off the Greek, notice what it says here. He will come back. When Jesus comes back, he is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge how many people? To judge everyone and to convict them all of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. When Jesus comes back to judge the world, who's coming back with him? You and I, the saints. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Come on. Oh, Lord, I want to be a part of that number when the saints go marching in. Turn with me in the Bible to Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, talking about this prophecy coming to pass. This will put a pep in your step this morning. It will help you to go to work tomorrow and to have authority and dominion and not fall for the devil's temptations. This is who you're called to be. This is what we're called to do. This is the passion of the church. Sometimes people say, well, the church is a hospital. Yes, we have a hospital in the church, but we're more than a hospital. Sometimes they say, well, we do our charitable deeds, and we should just go out there and do after-school programs. That's great, and yes, we should do all of that. But the church is a battleship for Jesus Christ. The church is here to whoop the devil, plunder hell, and populate heaven. The church is not here to play the game, Mother May I. We are to tell the devil, get back, Jack, in Jesus' name. Are you listening? We are the Simon of Simon says here on this planet. It's been given to us and the right that we have through Jesus Christ. Notice what it says here in the book of Revelation. John seeing what it looks like, what, what Enoch have prophesied about, and what also Jude has spoken of. I saw heaven open. I saw heaven standing open. And there before, before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Somebody say, Jesus. Thank you. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. Hallelujah. These are the trophies of his power. He has a name written on him that no one knows, so he's got a secret code on him. Hallelujah. But he himself, the Bible says, he is dressed in a robe dipped in what? Blood. And I believe that first bit of blood is the blood of his own sacrifice. And his name is the what? The Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the what? The nations. Thank you. He will rule them with an iron bat or an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh because he's got a tattoo there is written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who we're following into battle. Hallelujah. Every one of us were made to ride on those white horses coming down to earth to rule and reign with Christ.
And I saw an angel. See, that's the angel. The angel isn't those folks up above. That's us. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. Hallelujah. He cried out in a loud voice to all the birds. Notice this. This is not just spiritual victory. That's what we have now. But it gets enacted into the flesh right here. I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come gather together for the great supper of God. See, they're going to eat too. Somebody say, they're going to eat. See, we're going to eat on the blessings of God, but those birds are going to come eat. It says, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. That's where the Bible gets a little gross in some people's minds. I'm not saying that I would like to see it right now. But on that day when they're saying, oh my, oh me, I'm saying, oh yes and amen, oh yes and amen. Come Lord Jesus, I'm happy to be here. When you think about the defeat that the armies will face that day, it will be so bad that the angel will have to save all you birds from over here, migrate over there, stop going in Joe's backyard and pooping everywhere. Get out of Joe's backyard and go fly over here and you can eat as much as you want. The Bible says we're supposed to know that right now. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 and onward. You see, when you understand, this is how it is. There is no negotiation between us and the devil. There is no little, uh, you know, struggle that's going to go on on that day. There is going to be a wiping out of the enemies of God, and the people of God will rule and reign with Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now, if you know that, if you know that now, how are you supposed to be now? You are supposed to believe you are who God says you are and to do what God says you can do. No more of this messing around with sin. No more of this getting into arguments and fights with each other, not being able to figure it out. It's about time that you as fellow kings and priests get, to get along, serve one another, amen, and go out into the world and understand that it's not the LGBT community that's our enemy. It's not the abortionist that's our enemy. It's not the gangbanger. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against those demons who are playing them like puppets and to get out there and love your enemies, amen, send our children our best to go be missionaries on the mission field so that they can tell more people about Jesus. So he said here, pastoring the people, Paul, knowing these things, if any of you has a dispute with one another, why do you take it before the ungodly for judgment? Why do you go to people's court? Why are you going to judge Judy instead of the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge who? The world. You see, we're supposed to get along because we're going to judge the world. And if you are to judge the world, why can't you find competent judges to judge your trivial case? Do you not know that we will judge who? We will judge angels. I believe not only will we judge the fallen ones, I believe we'll be the ones that put the stars next to the good ones' names. Well, you did good, Gabriel. Here's a star next to your name. God's going to use his people to do that. Can I hear an amen? How much more the things of this life. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to your shame. It is possible. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute among the believers, but instead one believer takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers? Notice this, the world looks at the church and mocks us because we can't get along with each other. We can't get along with different denominations. We can't even get along oftentimes in this own building. Can't get along in our marriages, can't get along in our families, and then we're wanting to go out there and have authority. What a poor excuse for an army. If an army doesn't even know how to get along in its own ranks, how can it go out there and join with the other branches of the military and whip the devil's butt? I was watching Saving Private Ryan the other day with my children, tears coming down my eyes just at the beginning scenes, and I just began to realize how important it is that we listen to the authorities that God has put around us. Now, I'm not saying that we're naive and fall for dirtiness and perversion, what you've heard in the pulpit, or for lying and thieving. That's injustice. Stand against that in a moment's notice. But what I'm talking about is these trivial matters and how people don't trust their pastors and their leaders. And I was watching there in Saving Private Ryan while they were coming off on D-Day uh, out of their boats onto the shores of Normandy. 
And the plan was to, to bum rush that beach so that the Germans would not be able to take everybody out. So the Germans had an idea that they were coming, but they didn't know how many they were sending. And so the Germans had to scramble and put up their pillboxes, which is their concrete boxes to be in to put their weapons and mortar fire in. But you see, the American military, by God's wisdom, I believe, to set the Jews free, was given a plan. And the plan was pretty simple. We're going to send more than you can kill. But here is what it required of those soldiers that day. And that's why tears ran down my eyes watching that depiction of war. It was going to cost thousands of lives that day. And what you see at the beginning scenes, which I hear from those who were veterans of that war, says it was depicted quite realistically. And that is once the front doors of the ship opened up, the guns from the Germans were already aimed at them. And they were getting killed in the ship before they could even get out. And so they had to climb over their brothers. They had to climb over the people they had been with for probably up until that point a year through basic training, crossing over the Atlantic and coming over there into, into the Europe to get ready for the invasion. They had known their, these men as their brothers. And within moments, this one dies, this one dies, and there's blood everywhere. And they had to make a decision. Do we stay here on the boat or do we march forward? And I remember seeing in that show the actor that, you know, Tom Hank playing the, the lieutenant or the captain there, and he found these people just scared. Of course they would be. They were old enough to be many of our kids, 17, 18, 19 years old, and they're scared hiding behind the ship. They're hiding behind the barriers, and he's saying to them, you have to move. If we do not move, we all die and don't take this land. Brothers and sisters, that's what I feel it's like in the body of Christ today. So many Christians are seeing what's going on. They were raised a certain way. They know the difference between good and evil. Don't let them fool you even though they're backsliders. But they're scared. They're hiding. They don't want to take the step forward on the battlefield. But what they don't understand is that is defeat. To stay where they are, that is the defeat. We were meant to take the enemy's land and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And as those men stormed that beach, victory was given to the brave, both those who died on that shore and those who ascended up that mountain. Brothers and sisters, we may not all make it to the time of Christ's return. We may die in persecution. We may die of old age, of various ailments, ailments and illnesses that come upon us. But you have to keep moving for Jesus. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom, and I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail. Get up and take the land. You have to get up and take the land. I know they look scary on the west side. I know they look scary in front of the abortion. Clinic. I know the LGBT pride parade looks scary when you go out there because they're going to curse at you and be angry with you. But brothers and sisters, we need to march in love and in the power of the Holy Spirit and be witnesses for Jesus. But it starts here with our own organization. It starts here with the administration in this house. Because if we can't trust one another, if we can't trust the structure that God has, go quickly to Hebrews 13, 17, and put it in the King James, please. If we don't trust what God is doing here, how can you trust me out there? In other words, brothers and sisters, if you can't trust me to counsel your marriage or our leaders to counsel your children, how can we stand out there and tell you to keep marching when someone is threatening you? Or on your job, they're coming after you because they want to dox you and find out. They found out you come to a church like this and now they think you're homophobic. You have to trust us. I have to trust you. I got your back. You've got mine. Once again, I'm not talking about naivety and allowing sin to be covered up in the name of the cause. No, if there's a general out of order, let's get them out in Jesus' name. I don't care how good they are in another thing. Character matters in this battle. Amen. But I'm saying don't use it as an excuse. Just because there's been bad husbands doesn't mean I'm a bad husband. Amen? Just because there's been bad fathers, that doesn't mean I'm a bad father. Just because there's been bad pastors, that doesn't mean I'm a bad pastor. No different than anybody else here. How many believe you love Jesus and you're doing to the best of your ability to be a soldier in the army of the Lord? Amen? Notice what it says, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls and they must give an account. 
that what they do may be a joy, not a grief, because that's not profitable to you. Here's a spoiler alert in this movie if you haven't seen it yet. How many know Vin Diesel is in Saving Private Ryan? And there's such a sad scene because Vin Diesel plays kind of like your, your all-American kid from New York, you know. And he's there from the Bronx, and he's there to help out and do something good. He, he doesn't want to be there, but since he's going to be there, he wants to fight the bad guys. And they come to a village, and there's a young girl that's being handed to him by a father that wants to get him out of the village. And the, the captain, played by Tom Hanks, says, no, 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 we can't take that child. That's not what we came to do. We're still in battle right now. We're not in orphanage time. That will come. How many know after we whooped the Germans, we helped them rebuild, and Europe is doing pretty good right now? The best thing that you needed to do was listen to your captain. But that precious soldier's heart deceived him. And he goes out to get that young girl of what if what he thinks is compassion, but it's in rebellion to his commanding officer that has been instructed on how to keep everybody safe. And of course, if you've seen the movie, you know, as he goes to rescue the girl, he gets shot and he gets killed by a sniper, by a sniper that nobody could see. And what now becomes the temptation is now for more people to disobey their captain and try to go out and save him right in the line of fire of the sniper. So now one disobedience has led to a soldier being taken out. And now more are wanting to be disobedient all in the name of compassion. But compassion that is rebellion is not compassion at all. And so often you'll see people in the church say, well, I want to take the aside of this offense or this hurt brother or sister. And yes, we are to carry each other's burdens. We are to love one another and do good by them. But listen, if you come out of line, out of order, you now are a sitting target for the enemy. And then watching your life get messed up, others will be tempted to go run to you and try to help you. And then they will become another easy target for the enemy. Brothers and sisters, the devil is a sneaky devil. He will use on the outside what looks like compassion, what looks like helping your lesbian cousin or helping a disgruntled member against your pastor's or leader's commands from the Scripture. He'll get you to think you know better. Oh, well, I don't want to listen to the sergeant. I want to listen to you, the private. The sergeant doesn't understand. No, the sergeant understands. We're in battle. Souls are at stake. We'll take care of that a certain way at a certain time. That's why there in the scripture, that four-letter word, I know some people don't like it in church, but it says, obey them. That have rule over you. You see, in the same way, all of humanity was given rule over the birds and over the air, in the air and over the beasts of the ground. We were given authority in this church. And then your authority is in your house. And if you want authority in the church, you can come and do this as well with us. But you are to trust us as long as we are serving Jesus according to the scripture. Why? Because if it becomes a grief, it's no benefit to you. When that character played by Vin Diesel went out there, he grieved that sergeant. Do you think that sergeant wanted to see him die that day? Do you think he wanted to see all the confusion that came out? No! The sergeant wanted an easy victory. There should have been no problems that day in that village, and yet they had to lose a precious soldier because they wouldn't follow what the leader was saying. Brothers and sisters, just like good parents love their children, good leaders should love the church, and we should set the example by following them. Can I hear an amen? Now go with me to Psalm 58, verse 10, because this is what we need to know is God's judgment. And when the judgment is made, it doesn't mean that we still don't love those who are suffering right now or going through troubles, but we need to understand their issues are between them and God. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Can I hear an amen to that? 
after I have preached everywhere I can in this city, after I have said all the words of the Lord, after you and I have stood in front of abortion clinics and pleaded with them, and some were saved but many were lost, the Bible says, when my horse hits the ground, it's stepping into blood. Did you not hear me? I said, when those horses' feet hit the ground that day, you're stepping into blood. Why? Because there will be over 100 million people that will be slaughtered just in one place. The birds of the air are coming to feast on their flesh. Now, does this mean that we look at the sinner like this now and say, I'm going to just step all over your blood one day. I don't care about you. My horse is going to feed on your flesh. Now, do, do we talk to them like that? No. Jesus, when he saw Jerusalem the night before his crucifixion, he wept. And he said, oh, like a mother hen, I want to bring you in. But you will not let me. The Bible says, now they see our tears but then they'll see the judgment of the Lord as we come back. Turn with me quickly to Proverbs 11.10. This should make you today bold in what you do, but full of compassion. What is the end of the world? The world that doesn't know God will be judged. And so often when I talk like this, people think that I'm okay with them going to hell. That is not true. I don't even wish upon my worst enemy to go to hell. But how many know they say that to us all the time? Go to hell. No, I think not. I'm going to heaven. And I don't want you to go there either. And then they'll give me one finger, and then I'll give them two fingers, the fingers of peace. But in the back of my mind, in my, in my heart, this is what I understand. When the righteous prosper, the city will rejoice. When the wicked perish, there will be shouts of joy. As you follow through, in the story of Band of Brothers, which is like a continuation in many ways of the story of Saving Private Ryan, it follows the men of the 101st Airborne from the beginning of the D-Day drops as they're being given out, dropped out of planes, and those in Saving Private Ryan are storming the beaches. They then follow the, those soldiers all the way to the end until they have victory. My brothers and sisters, when those cities in France and Normandy and Austria got set free, do you think they were crying for Hitler? Do you think they were crying for the dead Germans in their city that day? No, they were shouting and celebrating. There was dancing in the streets. Brothers and sisters, hear me now. The day of God's vengeance, there will be no more tears for the wicked. He will wipe those tears from our eyes, and there will be nothing but shouting when we preach the gospel to them now, we need to do all that we can with the love of God to convince them to be on the righteous side, to not be wicked. The Bible says he wishes that none would perish. How many have read that scripture before? But that all would come to repentance. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Go to Revelation chapter 18, verse 20. Somebody say, God is coming to make it right. How many are ready for evil to leave this world? You know, sometimes I talk to people that are sinners and they use evil against us for an evidence, supposedly, that a good God can exist. And I say, have you even read our book? Our book tells you why there's even evil. Because if you're a non-theist, if you don't believe in God, you can't even have a problem with evil because you don't know what good and evil is. Does a monkey know what good and evil is? Is there any objective way for any chemical in your brain to know what good and evil is? Of course not. So the very non-believer who says they have a problem with God because of evil is showing that they have an ability, a compass of good and evil. It's just pointed in the wrong direction. Their conscience is broken like a broken compass. Can I hear an amen? But notice what the Bible says. On God's day of judgment, wrongs are made right. Because if there is no God, everybody get this, Hitler won. If all he does is return to dust and he got to kill 10 million people at whim, shoot himself, turn off the game, and lights out, if that's all we are is dust. Are you listening? But according to our Bible, that's not all that we are. So when, when, when Hitler shut off the video game, he found himself in God's real reality and the reality of hellfire and judgment. And he will face that forever in eternity. 
This is what it looks like. Rejoice over her. This is the Babylon of that day. And I believe the Babylon of the day of revelation is being established now. Babylon is one world religion with a one leader antichrist, with one currency. All of that is being made available right now through AI, through technology, through the UN. I'm not saying everybody there is the antichrist or it's Babylon, but how many see the seeds of Babylon being developed in our nation right now as we're compromising, giving way to these other governments, to these other leaders, to these other rulers to join with them. That's why you have to pray even now for the safety of the United States of America that we don't fall like Europe to secularism and socialism. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. It will be, everybody get this, it will be a command to rejoice over the destruction of the evil. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she opposed on you. So what she was trying to do to you has come on her. Now go to Revelation 19, just a few uh, verses down, verse 1, and notice what God says. And again, I heard this after a large soar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to who? Our God, for true and just are his what? Judgments. Just and true are his what? Judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute. This is that whore of Babylon who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Everybody say amen. Now go with me to Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 in the King James. This is something that I've been wanting to get to for a while. I'm still in review. Somebody say review. But I think you're ready. How many think I've done a good job by God's grace summarizing the last couple of weeks? Revelation chapter 1 verse 6, now what happens? And God has made us kings and priests unto God his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What was started in the Garden of Eden to give us authority that was taken by the devil and because of our own sin is now restored through Jesus Christ in the church and they will once and for all be upon this earth in the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen one more time? Amen. The Supreme Court will be the disciples, Matthew 19, 28, and then we will rule and reign over cities. Quickly, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28 says that the original minus Judas replaced by Paul, I believe, which is another discussion will have their thrones in Jerusalem, and they will be our supreme court. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, so you can see him in the center, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. There will be probably six on one side, six on the other, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now notice verse 29. And everyone, somebody say everyone, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But the first will be last and many who are last will be first. That means he's not forgetting about us. Amen. So you're, you're getting a picture now of what it's going to look like. Our disciples will be ruling from Jerusalem, and I believe that the provenances of the world will be divided among the names of the tribes of Israel. So as you live in a country now or a state that has a name, and most of us don't even know where our states and names come from or city names. I think a lot of ours here in Illinois and Chicago come from the Native Americans. But you will live in provenances. You will live under the jurisdiction of those 12 apostles under the 12 tribes of Israel. Can I hear an amen? But that doesn't mean you're just going to be sitting around letting them do all the work. No, go to Luke chapter 19, verse 17. Because remember, he said, if you leave these things for me, you're going to inherit a hundred times more. But what are we inheriting? Notice here at the end of one of Jesus' parables, after they've done the good work with the bags of gold, he now says to them, because you have been trustworthy in very small matters, and understand this, if you look at the value of the gold that these servants were given in this parable, it's upwards of millions of dollars. And he says that was a very small thing. So it doesn't even matter if you're an Elon Musk or if you're a Zuckerberg. It doesn't matter. If you're faithful in that today, the Bible says that's little compared to what's coming upon this earth. Can I hear an amen? Amen. That was a very little thing, but now take charge of how many cities? Ten cities. I wonder who in this church will be put in charge of ten cities. Five cities to the other brother there. 
You see, you and I were not meant to sit just right now on the top of the Himalayan mountain and meditate. We are not called to be monks. We're called to take the land. We're called to preach the gospel. If you want to be a monk, do so in your prayer closet, but go out there and be a missionary and change the world. We're not to run from the battle. We're to run to the battle like David. We're not to be consumed by our own sin. We're to go out there and get others who are in sin out of sin because the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. But as you and I are building the church now, the Bible says in the future we will rebuild the cities. You and I will be the kings and the priests and the leaders of God's new kingdom upon earth. You might say, well, I didn't hear it like that before. I didn't know this, but it was already in that Lord's prayer. You were praying all the time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how many are ready for that day? I know that you are, and so am I. But until that day, we have a job. Because this right here, and I've spoken about it before, everything that I've shared with you has turned into what is called Christendom. People heard about this. They then in Europe began to anoint their kings, send them out to conquer and to have holy wars. And that is what caused some of the greatest griefs upon the land. But brother and sister, you are not in a Roman Catholic church. You are in a protesting church. And we were killed by them when we said, stop it, that's enough. How many are glad good people like John Wycliffe and Tyndale and Martin Luther stood up against that beast? So we're not promoting a Christendom, a Christian nationalism, certainly not a white nationalism. That is all going to hell with the devil. In other words, where did a crusader go holding a cross if he was conquering in Jesus' name but doing it in an ungodly way without a just cause? He goes to the same hell of the Muslim he was killing. I said, are you listening? you got to listen to this today. And the same way that a, a, a conquistador came maybe here with ill-gotten motives, mistreated Native Americans, he's going to the same hell that the Aztecs who were worshiping a man participating in human sacrifice were going to. And let me now say it in plain, plain language so everybody can hear, that today if you're a Republican and you don't have the grace of God, you're going to the same hell as the Democrat. Did you hear me? And I said, you can be against those things, standing on what you think is good ground. I'm against LGBT. I'm against this and that. You can be saying all of that, but if you're not born again, you'll go to the same hell as every sinner today. You'll be in the same hell as OnlyFans. You'll be in the same hell as Biden if he doesn't repent. You'll be in the same hell of abortionists because God is not into the politics of what men are trying to do now in their own effort. He is into his kingdom. You see, nations will rise and fall, but the name of Jesus will remain forever. United States of America may not always be here, though we should pray for this land. That's in the Bible. We pray for this land. But if America falls, Jesus still stands. Can I hear an amen? Now go with me quickly to the message. Look at your neighbor. So that was just the introduction. Let's get to the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Because all of that is what I've been building up to in the last two weeks. And he says he rules among his gods. And those rulers are also called gods, Psalm 82. And in John chapter 10, verse 34 and onward, we've studied that. Through Israel, the Messiah came to establish his church for both Jew and Gentile. We now have an assignment in this church. And though I have mentioned it in passing, I now want to park here for the remaining moments that we have. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's what? Come on, we are Christ's what? Ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you three ways to be an ambassador for Christ. Number one, you have to know God as your king. We've had too long phony Christianity. We've had too long people going to church because their family goes to church. That will not work. You have to know Christ as your king. If I asked you right now, what is your testimony? What would you say is your testimony? How do you know Jesus Christ is your king? What 
lifestyle change have you experienced? What power encounter with God has come into your life? Because I can guarantee you today, brothers and sisters, if you ran into a hurricane, you would be changed. How many know that's true? Coming upon hurricane season right now, the Moraleses and I thought we would beat the summer crowd and go to Pensacola in September for a wonderful beach vacation there on the white sands of the Gulf Shores there in Pensacola, Florida. But guess what decided to show up during our visit? A hurricane. Did you feel the hurricane when you were in the house? Absolutely rattled that house. You could hear the winds coming by. You could see all the trees swaying. You could see that the storm waters were rising. Thank God we got out of there safe, but we tried to endure it for about two or three days before the water and electricity went off, and then the, blood, the bridges were getting taken out. Brothers and sisters, you can't say you've met God and things not change. If Jesus is your king, you live like his servant. That means you can't do what you used to do. There's a new boss in town. You can't talk like how you used to talk because you know the king is listening. You can't treat others, even those who are your enemies, like the way you used to treat them because Jesus is your king. If he turned the other cheek, you turn the other cheek. If he blessed those who persecuted him, you bless those who persecute you. In this world, we will suffer many tribulations, but Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The Bible says we are not treated as kings now. We are treated as the scum of the earth. As a matter of fact, Paul says in one time with his heart broken, you can read it in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says, it seems like you've become kings and you're starting your rulership without us. We as gospel preaching apostles are the last in the parade and we're being shamed, treated as garbage. You see, in those days when the conqueror came back home as victorious, he would drag the kings of the other nations behind him and the warriors, and he would put the ones that were the highest at the last and make them look dirty and filthy as he drug them through the city. And Paul is saying, you're acting like you're at the front of the parade, that you're right now already living as a conquering king, but we're back here suffering in the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, though there may be prosperity now, there may be businesses to build now. There may be money to save now. Always remember this. This world, as it is now, is not your home. The world can still take it when they want. The world can still arrest you when they want. The world can still persecute your children when they want. Imagine being Dietrich Bonhoeffer during the time of the German occupation by the Nazis. And imagine you being a strong Christian and watching this go down and all of your friends turning towards Nazism, but you remaining as a Christian. Imagine losing everything you've worked for. You see, we are not promised an easy road to reigning with Christ. The Bible says we first must suffer with Christ. So number one, is he your king? Are you willing to suffer with your king today? I'm not saying to take it upon yourself to go just squander everything you have and now say, I want to be homeless for Jesus. But what I'm asking you is, should our nation make it illegal to be a Christian, will you still serve your king? If our nation threatens you with the loss of your jobs, your city jobs, the loss of your ability to have your, your permits to do business, will you keep serving Jesus? One of the things we learned from the Jewish people during that persecution time is they remained Jews and they were proud of their Judaism. Brothers and sisters, do not give up your Christianity because now it may be tough in this life. Jesus said, whoever wants to come after me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The second thing is, is you need to invite the kingship of Jesus into your family. Somebody say, my family. My family. Amen. The family belongs to God. Fathers, your first responsibility, notice this, is not just in providing food and a place of lodging and clothes for your children. The first responsibility of the man of God and the family of God is to provide the gospel. Starting with your life, sir, how you live will impact your wife and impact your children. If there were no married men available to have affairs with, there wouldn't be many desperate housewives. Can I hear an amen? 
If many married men were not on OnlyFans, they wouldn't have so many fans today. If married men spent more time with their family than they did with sports and hobbies and trying to get a six-pack in the gym all the time, there wouldn't be many temptations for the younger men to follow those men. Because the greatest thing a man can be outside of a son, or a son of God or a king for God is to be the husband and father God called him to be. So brothers here today, do not be ashamed of your vocation. I'm proud of my father-in-law who came here from Greece and worked at Brock's Candy Factory on Cicero for many years. And then as that factory closed down and became a janitor in the high schools. I am proud of him because he brought my wife, his daughter, and his other daughter. He had two daughters to church every Sunday. He taught them to read the scriptures, and he taught them the morals of God. That man is a hero to me. And now to the women. It is your job as women to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your families. I understand that many women now work and may even make more money than their husbands. So be it. But women, your greatest calling is to be a mother of Zion, to raise up the sons and daughters of Israel, to dwell with the 12 tribes and the apostles. Your job is to raise up those who will be kings and priests. And so love your husbands and serve them as the church serves Jesus. Have you heard that before at a wedding ceremony? And then to love and to honor your children. Don't boast about the wine that you need at the end of your hard work day. Boast about the prayer time you have with your children around the table. And if it has to be some Taco Bell, that's all right. Just make sure it's blessed in the name of Jesus and prayed for. I said this to my wife when we first got married. I have no expectations for you to have to cook like your mom or my mom. It's a different generation. My wife had to work at the bank and to help us in our early years. I said, I have no expectation for you to have to keep spending money on clothes, hallelujah, like you did before I met you. I have no expectation for any of that. But I'm expecting for you to be a woman of God, someone that I can trust and raise a family with. Will you serve and fear the Lord. And from that day forward, almost 20 years and six children later, she still does it. But praise God, she can cook every now and then a good meal, right? Come on, everybody's tasted her meal. So often I have to tell her, don't worry about cooking, just get them pizza. They don't care. But she's like, oh no, I want to do it for them. Well, praise God for that. And every now and then I come into the homeschooling and she reminds me of a nun that was talked about in Catholic school who would be whipping on them while they were learning. Every now and then my, my baby mama liked that and I got to come in and say, easy now, go take a break. Let me, let me teach them their ABCs and then before you know it, I'm losing it a little bit. Pray for us, homeschooling six. But I'll tell you what, we've gotten better over the years at those things. But the best thing you can do is have the kingship of Jesus in your marriage and in your family. And if you're single today, be who God called you to be and devote your things to the Lord. Devote your time to the Lord. Yes, you have extra free time and you can stay late and come early to your job. That's wonderful. But be a part of more life groups then. Be a part of more evangelism. Volunteer to work with the young adults or with the teenagers or the children on Wednesday. Give your life to the things of God. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. How many know that's the treasures that come back on Judgment Day that we now have as our status? Sometimes people say, well, I'm just a servant. I, I, I don't need any status. And that's true. But the Bible promises status to those who are humble. I know, I know it sounds like an oxymoron. The humble become the leaders. But listen to me. That's because we only think of leaders as being proud. But how many know our king is a humble king? And you will be a humble king with the king of kings. So store up for yourself treasures on, on, uh, in heaven. Store up for yourselves treasures there that will come back to earth and be an honor to God. And then lastly, but not least, as uh, Daryl comes to the keys, be the witness to Christ's kingdom in the world that you live in, on your job and in your community. I can't make my Hindu neighbors go to church with me today. 
But I can show them the power of God's church in my backyard when they see my children play and invite the kids and the neighbors over. They can see the compassion and the care that we have for the community as we not only shovel when snow comes out here pretty soon, our sidewalk, but also their sidewalk. Let the people of this world see you as the one who's there to help and to change. Yes, many of them will not want the gospel. But how many know on your job, if they don't want the gospel, they still want the success that the gospel brings? So that means bring them the good attitude of a Christian. Bring them the one who's there being helpful, inventive, creative, and a servant. Because I guarantee you, you'll have a much much better chance of leading the one to the Lord who honors and respects you than the one who thinks you're not pulling your weight. When they see you on your job being the honest one, the person of integrity, it may cost some of the shady friends at first, but then those who care about that company will come to you like Potiphar did to Joseph and say, here are the keys. I'm now trusting you because there's no CEO or no entrepreneur or no business that I know of that wants lying, cheating employees. And if you are over a business or work face-to-face with customers, they may come in with purple hair identifying by a different gender, but if you can respect them and earn their business, they will listen to you when you talk to them about Jesus. The first funeral that I ever led in Chicago after moving here from New Orleans was a lesbian that I had met on Belmont and Clark as I went out to preach the gospel every week. She knew that I believed lesbianism was a sin, and I taught her so whenever I saw her out there on the weekends for her to party at her clubs. But because she knew I cared for her, she took my information And when she could, she made time to stop and talk to the preacher. And it was when her grandfather passed away that I'm sure somebody asked, does anybody know a preacher to come do a funeral? She said, I know of one, and invited me there. Imagine the privilege that I felt that day without having to compromise what I believe about heaven and hell and about the judgments of God. Imagine me that day feeling the honor of the lesbian to come to the funeral. And I got to preach the gospel there. Though I wish she was a Christian sitting in the front row and I could point her out to you now, that was not my decision to make. I cannot force them to change, nor can you, and nor will God, hence their being a hell to begin with. But what we can do is show them that we love them and that we will serve them. You're going to go into a world that doesn't want you to reign as a king or as a priest. They don't want your Bible to be in charge, and they certainly don't want those judgments to come. But what we can do is give them a taste of heaven. I remember frequenting a restaurant, and one day this waiter came up to me, and I could tell that he wasn't like his normal self. And so I brought the kingdom of God to that table. See, that table is where I was sitting, and there was two or three of us gathered together, and there was the church taking over the gates of hell. The Charlie Stop, one of the best New Orleans diners ever invented on St. Charles Avenue, right where the trolley would go back and forth to the French Quarter. And I could see something was wrong with my friend. And I said to him, Mike, what's going on? And he said, I'm not doing good today, man. I can't tell you about it, but it's not going good for me. And I said, you know what? I had a bad day not too long ago, and I told him about my sister who had died drinking and driving. And he said, I've I've experienced that too, but he says, that's not all there is. So I just said, okay, Mike, well, I'll pray for you as I pray for the meal. Do you know that you're never being rude to your server if you say, can I pray for you as I get ready to pray for the meal? I've had so many say, yes, you can. And then I ask them, what can I pray for? Pray for world peace. Sometimes they'll say because they can't think of anything. Or they'll open up their heart and tell it all to you. And then if they just walk right away, I just pray on my own. But sometimes they think that when I said, I'm going to pray for my meal. Is there anything I can pray with you about? That that includes them. So sometimes they'll just stand there and just bow their head 
oh, I love those moments, and I begin to pray. And that day, Mike walked away, and I prayed at the table. But then I gave him my card, and I said, Mike, give me a call, man. Tell me about it when you get off work. He got off work later that night, 1, 2 in the morning, gave me a call. He said, man, I'm hooked on crack. And now it's gotten so bad, I don't even have enough money for a place to stay. I said, Mike, I'll pick you up right now. I'm not saying this is for everybody. This is what God told me to do, to bring a taste of heaven onto earth. I brought in over 30 homeless people into my house. I said, Mike, I'll go right there and get you. Where are you at? He was out there in front of the Charlie stop. I brought him home. You know that Mike stayed with me until he joined the drug rehab, graduated. And then a few years later when I came to do work at Katrina, somebody jumped me from behind with a big bear hug. You know who it was? It was Mike. He said, thank you, Pastor, for that day at the Charlie stop. I've been clean ever since, and I have a family I want to show you. And this has been my church, Victory Outreach, where I joined him that day. And I said, let's go help the hurting. Brothers and sisters, I couldn't make Mike do that. And how many Mikes did I meet before that? How many troubled waiters and waitresses did I meet that had no time for a prayer, nothing to hear from a preacher? But it's those ones that remind me the kingdom of heaven is still invading the kingdoms of darkness. And they're worth our time, and they're worth our suffering, and they're worth our hardships because we already know where we go when we die. Sometimes people mockingly say, well, pastor, if it's true you all go to heaven anyways, why doesn't Jesus just kill you when you become a Christian? Or why not just commit suicide and go right to heaven? I said, because he uses us as the light of the world, as the salt of the earth. If that was the plan, he would have told us that was the plan. He said it was the exact opposite. He said, stay as long as you can and go into all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. But here's the good news that he gave us. He said, surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is with his church. You want God to build your business? Build his church. You want God to bless your family? Bless his church. You want God to do something wonderful in this city? Do something wonderful in this church. And watch how God will use the church to tear down the gates of hell. If you believe it today, would you stand up and give it up for Jesus? Come on, somebody say thank you, Jesus, for the church. Hallelujah. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a great church today that is representative of all the churches in this city that are doing a wonderful work. I pray, oh God, we will not treat this place with contempt or just mere familiarity. But God, we'll understand there's a mystery being revealed here. And it's being administered to the people of this earth that you are using us to change the world. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know Jesus yet, just repent of your sins because he'll be your Lord and your Savior if you just say, I'm sorry for doing it on my own by being your own boss, by following other religions, to say, Jesus, save me, change me, make me who you called me to be. In the name of Jesus, I pray someone is saved in this place right now. I know not everybody can be saved in a place like this. There's got to be someone. In just a few moments, you can come up and let us know who you are. But for the rest of us, if you're already a Christian, would you just raise up your hands in a sign of worship and just say, Jesus, I want to be used by you in the church. I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness so that all of these other things will be added unto me. Come on, seek first the kingdom of God now in your life, in your family's life, and wherever you go out into this world this week. Right now, ask the Lord to use you, to bless you, to be a blessing. Lord, bless your people to help them to bless their neighbors, to bless this community. When the lights go out in your house, do you scream at the light bulb or do you simply replace it? Come on. You can scream at a sinner all day long, but you can't change their heart. You need the light to do that. 
Brothers and sisters, you got to give people the light. That's the only answer. A few more moments, hands raised. Use me, Jesus, to give the light. These prayer workers will be up here. If you need prayer for anything, sickness, you need healing, uh, you're going through hardships, you need a God to bless you on your job, these people will be up here to pray. But more importantly, remember you got to be a Christian. you got to be born again. And you've got to be ready to change the world because just having a healthy body is not going to get you to heaven. Just having more money is not going to get you to heaven. So make sure you put that first. A few more moments right now. A few more moments right now. We're seeking first the kingdom of God.